Hey, Top News listeners, this is Luke Garrett. And Megan Cloherty. We're the hosts of WTOP's daily local news podcast, The DMV Download. Don't worry, top news from WTOP isn't going away, but we wanted to drop in and give you a taste of what we're producing, a podcast that goes deeper into the biggest stories of the day. If you like what you hear, head over to the DMV Download podcast and subscribe. It's Thursday, July 7th. From inside the WTOP newsroom, this is the DMV Download, brought to you by the men and women of Steamfitters Local 602. Get an estimate and learn more at steamfitters-602.org. Today, we sit down with outgoing D.C. Health Director Dr. LaQuandra Nesbitt, who saw the district through nearly eight years and navigated the city through the pandemic. The day after she announced she's leaving, she tells us what it was like as a health director in the midst of a health emergency. Some know that I'm a I'm a morning person, but that took being a morning person to a slightly different, uh, a slightly different level. And buying weed legally in D.C. is a complex process, but it just got a little easier after Mayor Bowser signed a law letting most adults self-prescribe medical marijuana cards. We talked to one of the D.C. council members who introduced the bill, Kenny McDuffie. These people who need cannabis can self-certify and have access for medical purposes. And we think that the market exists, the demand exists, and the public for a while has been asking us to do this. Thanks for joining us. I'm Megan Cloherty. And I'm Luke Garrett. Dr. LaQuandra Nesbitt is leaving her job as director of D.C. Health. She held the position for nearly eight years, but became a household name during the pandemic when she joined Mayor Bowser for daily press briefings on the changing reality of COVID-19. Now she is making time to sit down with us today and share some of her experiences. Thank you, Dr. Nesbitt, for joining us on Zoom today. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Megan. And let's get right to it. Why are you leaving after almost eight years doing this job? You know, I have come to really uh, love Washington, D.C. I think most people know um, this is my second time around uh, at D.C. Health. Um, I spent time here back in 2008 to 2011. Um, um, you know, I think that there is so much more um, uh, to do in my career. Um, this job has absolutely been an honor and privilege of a lifetime, and I've learned so much. Uh, and um, there's a lot we need to do to improve the health of our communities and at this point in my career, I'd like to be able to address um, the health of our communities from a different vantage point uh, other than governmental public health, where I've spent the last, uh, I'd say, about 14 years of my career. So you're not going to Montgomery County to be their health director is what you're saying? Uh, I, I will uh, confirm that that is not on the agenda for now. <laughs> <laughs> we had to ask. <laughs> Um, the mayor had some lovely things to say about you today. She said that you, um, she was looking for somebody to be the public face of the district's health. She's outstanding. I mean, and I think D.C. residents know that. They had the opportunity to witness her brilliance. Tell us about working with Mayor Bowser and, and some of the challenges, because you guys were just, you know, arm in arm through the pandemic. What, what do you think was the biggest challenge of getting through that time? Yeah, you know, one of the things that was um, really beneficial for me, uh, as you all mentioned at the top, going into the pandemic, I had been in the role for over five. Uh, and um, health was always a priority for uh, Mayor Bowser. Um, and so going into the pandemic, we had already built a relationship with both trust and support, uh, which I think was extremely uh, important. And so uh, by the time that we needed to, as you say, appear before the public on a daily basis, she understood how I worked. I understood very clearly how she worked. Um, and we were able to um, have that sort of collaborative and very uh, uh, respectful relationship with each other during some of the most difficult and tough times for the city. And Doctor, you were really at the helm during this pandemic. 
you had to make life and death decisions often for about two years. What was that really like for all the district residents who are watching those briefings? What was it like, you know, kind of just trying to communicate the realities of this pandemic? Sure. Um, so I, I get this question often. Uh, we had daily briefings very early in the morning. Uh, and so my day would start maybe two to three hours before those mm. uh, daily briefings. Um, and I'm not talking about the public briefings. I'm talking about our internal briefings. Mm -hmm. um, and, and some know that I'm a, I'm a morning person, but that took being a morning person to a slightly different, uh, <laughs> a slightly different um, level. And it was really having to take all of this information in, you know, public health is a science. Uh, people train for it. Uh, we have a lot of people in our organization who are uh, trained at the master's level degree or doctoral degree who study uh, epidemiology and the data and data. And I think, um, you know, during the pandemic, the public got really used to try understanding how to look at trends and uh, when they could go and when they should stop. And um, but public health professionals have been doing this for a long time. And so part of my job was taking in all of those inputs um, and doing my best job to make it plain language and give people those simple instructions they could follow at the various phases um, of an ever evolving uh, pandemic. Uh, and at the same time, right, you're trying to keep yourself healthy. Mm. Uh, you're trying to keep yourself healthy from a physical perspective. Uh, you're trying to keep yourself healthy from an emotional uh, and social well-being perspective. Mm -hmm. And you're trying mm -hmm. to make sure that you take the time to nurture uh, yourself and your personal and professional relationships. So, um, you know, I don't want to be disingenuous and make it seem like it was the easiest time uh, ever. Uh, but there were a lot of things that you always needed to be uh, aware of. The mayor said today that, you know, after she was praising how you were the the front, you know, the what'd she say? The district's doctor, Luke. Is that yeah, what the she district's said? doctor. That's what she said. Yep. She, she then goes, well, people don't know this about her, but she is a data nerd. She loves <laughs> budgets. She loves that kind of stuff. She loves org charts and she loves putting people uh, in places where they can succeed and make D.C. residents healthier. I do want to address that gap, that two-week gap of, of the data reporting, because, yes, as an agency, you all have addressed what happened. Um, but from from a, from a running the agency, it must have been a little frustrating because you go out of your way all, for all this time to try and parse the data for everybody, and then you have this gap you have to deal with. Yeah, so internally, we never experienced a gap, right? And I think that's what's important for people to, for people to know. Um, I was always getting what I needed from my team. Uh, and we share data across a lot of platforms. You know, we created coronavirus.dc.gov where a lot of jurisdictions and even the federal partners look at our dashboard to see how we're distilling data and making it publicly available. And then we try our best to put data on um, national dashboards where mm -hmm. people can compare across jurisdictions, right? And so in two plus years, um, we had one short time frame. Um, in the grand scheme of 20 plus months, uh, where one of those connections and submitting some of the data that we still had the ability to look at in-house and make policy decisions, not get to that uh, partner who puts that data on dashboards for people to compare publicly. Uh, but it never impacted our ability to be able to care for our residents or my ability to observe trends to see whether or not we were going in the in the right direction here. And I, I think that's the, for me, the most important thing for people to be able to, to understand, because you're absolutely right. Uh, and the mayor's absolutely right. I'm, I'm that kind of person who wants to go to all the budget meetings, who, uh, <laughs> who's looking at the data, who talks to my colleagues and other agencies about um, best ways to look at data internally and the best ways to translate and translate data to meaningful information for the public. Mm. 
And we've been looking at the pandemic in a retrospective, you know, way here. But as you all know, the pandemic is surely still here. And we have a new sub-variant, uh, BA5, a sub-variant of Omicron, you know, that's that experts say really may create another, another spike here. So for D.C. residents tuning in, you know, what should they really look out for? What's ahead of us, you know, in this new pandemic phase? Yeah, you know, with each variant, um, we don't know how these variants are going to behave. And that's the tricky part. And it's why we were always very aggressive about the messaging for let's get everyone vaccinated and get people vaccinated really quickly. So there is a, another subvariant out there, B4, BA4, BA5, um, that's higher in some regions of the U.S. than others. And it has the potential to um, change some of the uh, positive trends that we are seeing. Um, what we want people to know now uh, is that we are in the, a different phase of the pandemic for more than one reason. For now, the virus, while it seems to be spreading faster, um, it's not causing people to be as sick. Uh, we're also in a different phase of the pandemic because we have more tools in our toolbox than we had in 2020. So being in a different phase um, of our response isn't just about knowing how the subvariant is going to behave. It's also knowing that we have so many more tools in our toolkit uh, than we did back in uh, March of 2020. I was telling uh, doctor before we started this interview how I was with her there for all the press conferences for about two years. And there's about a million things we could talk about as far as initiatives during the pandemic, including having people reach out to seniors, uh, creating equity in vaccination spots, uh, making sure everybody had a place to go, uh, setting up an entire convention center in case we needed it. I mean, there's just so much to talk about as you leave this position. What do you think your legacy is? Do you think it's around COVID or do you think it's around some of the other initiatives like the maternal health uh, things that you guys have spent a lot of time on? I, you know, I, you, you ask a very um, important question. It's one I've spent a lot of time reflecting on. And um, the staff, COVID isn't necessarily the thing that they're spending a lot of time thinking about. Mm. Um, I think in the, their, their personal conversations to me, the first thing is they're doing like most DC residents do. They're, they're grateful. Um, for my leadership during COVID. Um, and they say, thank you for helping to keep us safe. And then we immediately go into some other part of our time together over the past eight years, right? So um, if it's about how we revolutionize um, the way that we address maternal and child health, right? Shifting our focus um, from expanding home visiting programs and thinking more about a place-based model. Mm -hmm. um, we've also been able to reflect a lot on how we've um, taken a broader view for school health services. It's not just about a nurse in a school, but how we help families connect to community resources that are available uh, to help children have better physical, mental, and emotional well-being. Um, we've also spent a lot of time talking about some of the things that are part of our bigger equity agenda, right, around social and structural determinants of health and racial justice. Uh, so there's so much um, that we have done uh, together as a team, backyard chickens, uh, <laughs> bike lanes, goat yoga. Um, so <laughs> lots of things, rodents, uh, lots of things. Um, I have to ask you what's next. I know you said you, you won't be with government, but are you taking a little break because you deserve it or are you going right into another job? Yeah, so I, um, I'm looking forward to exploring opportunities that'll allow me to, um, you know, look back over my career as being a practicing family doc, mm -hmm. uh, working in governmental public health, um, also, having worked in academics uh, and working with medical students um, in academic environments and looking for an opportunity that really lets me bring all of that experience together. Well, that sounds like an amazing job. I hope you find it. <laughs> I do, too. <laughs> and, and I love the District of Columbia. Um, so I'm, I'm a native of Michigan. 
uh, I, the weather here is better. Um, and it's a, and it's that's a, saying something right now that you're saying that. So that's a, that you mean that. This is a great place to live. DC Health Director Dr. Laquandra Nesbitt, thank you for taking the time to reflect with us about your past eight years. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Luke and Megan. And coming up, it just got a whole lot easier to get medical marijuana in D.C. We'll talk about why after the break. Backed by the experience of its hardworking members, Steamfitters Local 602 is ready to take on your next commercial heating, cooling, HVAC, or refrigeration project. Steamfitters Local 602 adds value to our community through its partnerships with local contractors and building owners, all while keeping the focus on improving the lives of its members and their families throughout the DMV. For work that's on time and on budget, go to steamfitters-602.org to schedule your next project. That's steamfitters-602.org. Steamfitters Local 602, changing lives. Thanks for listening to the DMV Download. If you like the podcast, head to our show page, give us a rating, and leave a review. We read all of them and use the suggestions to improve this show that we're so proud of. It also helps other listeners find this, our region's only local daily news podcast. Thanks for making us a part of your day. Since legalized in 2015, buying weed in D.C. legally has been complicated, but it just got a lot easier after Mayor Bowser signed a bill into law yesterday allowing adults over 21 to self-prescribe medical marijuana cards. Before, you had to get a medical marijuana card from a doctor, but this bill allows D.C. residents to do it themselves. And Ward 5 Councilmember Kenyon McDuffie introduced this bill a few months back, joining us now on Zoom. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, as we said at the top, I mean, this this was kind of complicated. Um, how does this new law simplify the process of getting marijuana? And was there a demand for this from, you know, a certain population? Well, I think, you know, it's important to, for context to say that it's been largely complicated because for nearly a decade, Congress has overturned the will of D.C. voters by forbidding the district from spending uh, money uh, to fully set up an adult use market. And so the congressional writer has allowed savvy business owners to really push the legal limits on gifting, uh, as it's known locally, and where these folks who are essentially I-71 businesses are using the current law as a local gray market. And how does this bill really fight back against that gray market? How does that really work? Well, the, the challenge has been that today we have a number of Initiative 71 cannabis gifting shops in operation which really hinders the ability of, of the regulated medical cannabis dispensaries to generate revenue mm. and make a profit under the current medical marijuana regime that we have in place. And so we wanted to make sure that that was in mind, but also that the folks who are patients, these people who need cannabis can self-certify and have access for medical purposes. And we think that the market exists, the demand exists, and the public for a while has been asking us to do this. And so, you know, when someone looks at this bill and they see that residents can self-prescribe without the need of a doctor, that might strike some concern. Oh, why is the doctor, you know, being taken out? What would you say to that at-face concern? Well, what I'd say is that, you know, as a result, patients have the ability to secure the cannabis that they need and that uh, doctors uh, have recognized as a need in District of Columbia as it is in cities across the country. And rather than have them uh, secured in a way that is not sanctioned by the District of Columbia government, we're creating this opportunity for the market to work the way that I think most people who both are patients, but also folks who recognize the need mm -hmm. for uh, cannabis patients to have access. Uh, I think they all agree uh, that this was the right thing to do for the District of Columbia. 
You mentioned the unique position D.C. is in, that all of our laws have to go through Congress. Was this bill based off of any other city's experience in taking away the the need for a doctor to prescribe a medical marijuana card? We are always watching what other jurisdictions are doing. Uh, we're, we're watching closely, frankly, with jurisdictions that have their own adult use market. And we hope that Congress will allow the District of Columbia to uh, really address the needs of District of Columbia residents and fulfill the wishes of voters. And just so I'm understanding this correctly, is this law kind of the limit of what D.C. Council and the D.C. government can do and the rest is kind of up to the, the federal government? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, you understand it correctly. Uh, you know, this is an emergency bill. Uh, which Why is it an emergency bill? Because we wanted to make sure that uh, since it rose to the level of emergency, it required nine votes of the council, but that it went into effect immediately upon the signature of the mayor, which she's already provided. But it also means it's eventually going to expire after 90 days. And mm-hmm. so the emergency language around self-certification mirrors the language in the permanent legislation that is pending uh, before three committees at the council. We are likely to pass a permanent legislation uh, at some point soon, but you all know that we go on recess in a matter of about a week. And so uh, this will be long enough to hold us over during recess and, and we'll take up the permanent legislation if we can't get to it before uh, our recess. I know it's kind of that busy time. You mentioned you have a week left and we were looking up. You've, you've been busy. You've got a ton of things with your name on it right now, which obviously begs the question, are you trying to get some stuff through? We know that you're no longer able to run for AG. Um, now you're running against Alyssa Silverman for her at-large seat. Tell us, um, are you feeling the pressure to really make some, you know, push through the legislation you want to see on the off chance that you don't unseat Silverman? Well, I'm not really feeling any pressure to push through legislation. I've been a, a pretty prolific legislator. And as I've told folks, uh, I've never run for elected office with any particular opponent in mind. Hmm. Uh, I, I've always run focused on my own candidacy and the issues that matter most to District Columbia residents. And we know uh, those issues well. Uh, it's issues around public safety. Uh, everybody who lives in the city should feel safe in their communities, whether they live in Ward 1 or Ward 8, or anywhere in between. We know that it is becoming increasingly unaffordable to live here in the District of Columbia, and I've been uh, a champion for housing affordability. In fact, I've passed some of the most significant legislation that is dedicating hundreds of millions of dollars to the Housing Production Trust Fund. Uh, And I've worked with my colleagues and the mayor to get these things done. I've been a coalition builder uh, over my tenure in the Council of the District of Columbia, and I think uh, my record, my experience, And my qualifications are a clear contrast with my opponent, uh, who uh, seemingly has resorted to negative campaigning already. Uh, And what I've always said, and I believe in the the, the school of thought with Michelle Obama, uh, is that when they go low, uh, we go high. And so it's usually people who resort to negative campaigning uh, when they don't have a record of accomplishments to tout. Uh, Well, I have a record of accomplishments to tout. People know my work. They know my record, and I'm going to run on my record. But this wasn't really the plan. I mean, obviously, we, we you were going for AG, and now you want to get back on the council, and Alyssa Silverman gets to be the uh, your target. But, I mean, why why do you want to be on the council? Why don't, why don't we just let it go? Well, uh, what I've always said, regardless of what I was running for, whether it was running for Ward 5 council, whether it was running uh, for attorney general, is that Uh, my goal is always to serve the residents of the District of Columbia. It is my passion. It is my purpose. And I've spent my entire career doing just that. And so uh, I I wanted to always continue to work on behalf of the residents of the District of Columbia, 
to uh, deliver results. And I think what voters will see is that uh, my record reflects that. And so what I'm asking them is for another opportunity to serve, uh, this time as an at-large council member. And uh, I'm happy to put my experience, my qualifications and my record side by side with any council member or any other candidate in this race to ask the voters to decide who's best qualified to lead. Ward 5 Councilmember Kenny McDuffie, thank you for the time explaining this you know, new bill that's now a law and you know your candidacy. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to joining you all again sometime in the future. After talking to Councilmember McDuffie, we reached out to his opponent, Alyssa Silverman, who had this response, quote, For eight years, I've been focused on advocating for working families in D.C., and my campaign reflects that. I rely on small money donors. I always have. Councilmember McDuffie's campaign will be fueled by big money interests, such as real estate developers. I think D.C. voters are smart enough to know who each of us will be advocating for at the Wilson Building. And before we go, Megan, Ooh, yes. I was at a Nats game and I was with some friends, some, you know, new friends. Yeah. And I was asking them, as I always do, so what do you want to know? You know, I have this podcast. I want to yeah. you know, fill yeah, things yeah. you need to know. And this one guy comes up to me and he's like, you know what? Honestly, more than anything, I just want to know where to go on a date here in D.C. <laughs> and he told me a compelling story. He's like, look, I, love it. I moved here during the pandemic. Things have been shut down. Right. The world's open. It's summer. I'm like, you know, meeting people. Where where should I go? So. <laughs> Andrew, I got you. Wait, are we starting a new segment called DMV Dates? I think we are. Yeah, I think it's time. Are you impressed that I just named that off the top of my head? That's pretty good. Alliterations, love it. <laughs> For the first yeah. installment, we'll start small. Just, you know, first nice first date in D.C. Oh, I have one, too. Okay, here's mine. You go to The Reach. It's this new, you know, ish kind of segment cafe of the Kennedy Center. It's mm-hmm. got a beautiful sculpture, some grass, you know, so you get maybe a food drink there. And then you just walk over the Theodore Roosevelt Bridge over to, you know, Virginia. But before you get to Virginia, you dip into the Theodore Roosevelt Island where you can hike around, you know? So that's a date that kind of takes, you know, maybe 20 bucks per person, so kind of manageable. And then when you're on the date, you can actually, you know, have a little fun fact to tell your lucky lucky person. Oh, what's a fun fact? The fun fact, yes, I do have it right here. Look at you. Teddy Roosevelt Island, as it's also known. In 1898, the island was actually used as a test site for dynamite by some like local chemists. And it was secret, so, you know, he didn't tell anyone about it. So D.C. police during that time got all these reports of, like, oh, my gosh, there are spies on this island and stuff. But the whole time it was just this professor doing some some tests. <laughs> They've, you know, cleaned the area of any, you know, hazardous material since then. But I thought that was kind of a fun fact. That's so good. Anyway, okay. that's it. Okay, this is mine. In Georgetown, there's a little um, market called Smeelys, I think it's called, S-M-E-E-L-E-S. Mm-hmm. And it's like a cheese shop. Ooh. And so you meet there. You bring, like, a basket or something and get, like, pick out your cheese, pick out your crackers, like, something small. Uh-huh. Walk down to the canal and do a little, okay, what's our fun fact about the canal? Because you know everything about the canal. Oh, well, there's, you know, the little boat that goes up and down it now. It's fantastic. <laughs> well, I was, that's that's its own separate date. I was oh. thinking you could go down to the waterfront and, like, watch the boats go by. Yeah. You have the Kennedy Center view, have a little picnic. Right. Um, a little charcuterie board action going. Yeah, maybe. The, I mean, if you see any celebrities down there, that's where you're going to see them. It's down at the, you know, in front of that fancy, fancy Italian restaurant. So there you go. There you go. That's a pretty successful installment DMV download dates. There you go. <laughs> Sorry, mine was rushed. I'll be more prepared next time. <laughs> and that'll do it for us today on the DMV download, sponsored by Steamfitters Local 602. Our managing editor is Craig Schwab, and our music is by Real World. 
Give us a review and rate our show if you get the chance and follow us on social media where we post content every day, literally. And then also on social media, you can find a link to a survey we have out for you to let us know how we're doing. The DMV Download is a product of WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in the D.C. area, 107.7 FM in Virginia, 103.9 FM in Frederick, Maryland, online at WTOP.com and on the WTOP News app. Have a good night.